Welcome to the South Coast Christian Podcast. I'm Pastor Tom Westerfield. On behalf of myself and our entire staff, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope this message uplifts and encourages you this week. We're in a series on the book of James. This is our seventh week in this series. It's entitled All Day, Every Day, and it's basically finding rhythm for our faith. Uh, James wrote a book, five chapters. He wrote it to Jewish believers who were basically kind of falling off the path, and they were not really obeying God's word anymore, and they weren't living godly principles, and they were, they were getting off track. And James writes this letter to them and says, hey, guys, you know what? You need to put godly principles back into your life. If you put those godly principles back into your life, you will find a new stability in your life because you're following after God. You know, how many of you know that your faith can get out of rhythm, out of sync? All of a sudden, you're just like, why is everything messed up? And I don't know about you, I, I've had that happen. I was like, I just don't feel right. What's going on? And then all of a sudden, it just hits me. Like, Man, I'm not spending the time I need with God. I'm not asking God to help me in situations. I'm not praying enough. I'm not reading God's word. And all of a sudden, what happens is we get back into sync, back into rhythm. Guess what? God shows up. And all of a sudden, my life feels like, you know what, I can do these things. That I thought were, man, so difficult, all of a sudden God makes it easy. And that's because we're putting godly principles back into our life. Last week, we studied the second half of James chapter 3, which was really godly wisdom versus earthly wisdom. We talked about that whole part. And today we'll be looking at James chapter 4, the entirety of James chapter 4, and really from the perspective of humility. What, if we put... Humility, humility into our life. What is our benefit? And we're going to talk about the benefit of humility. Because humility goes hand in hand with wisdom. You can't expect to have godly wisdom in your life if you don't have humility in your life. In fact, Proverbs chapter 11 verse 2 states that pride leads to disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. Humility, if you want to have wisdom in your life, Guess what? Embrace humility. Humility in your life will open up the door to godly wisdom because humility brings unity with God. Humility brings, that's a true statement. In fact, in the book of James, in this chapter, chapter 4, James quotes that, you know what, God gives grace to the humble, or you could be translated, God gives favor to the humble, but God opposes the proud. He doesn't, he doesn't embrace those who have pride in their life. But man, if you're willing to submit yourself and be, be humble before God, it says, it says in Scripture, you're going to receive more grace and you're going to receive, receive more favor upon your life. Let's look at verse 1 of James chapter 4. It says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires that war within you? Why do we fight? Why, that's the question that James is asking. Why do we fight? Anytime you're struggling and finding yourself fighting with others, the question is why? What's happening in your life? What's causing that? What's triggering? Now, I'm not just talking about the trigger points of your life because even Friday night I was driving home from Brett's place and, and I was driving home and all of a sudden two cars were racing down the freeway and there was a lot of traffic. And one cut right in front of me, just missed my bumper. I thought, oh, my goodness. You know, the, the other guy, I didn't realize there was someone following him. And literally, he cut in my lane and wasn't cutting my lane. He was coming into me. I moved over a whole lane. Luckily, there's no one. God's grace was upon me. No one next to me. I went all the way into the other lane. He still almost hit me. Okay, it triggered me. I haven't been triggered for a while. 
that triggered me. I wanted to go chase that guy down. I mean, literally road rage was coming upon me at that moment. I just go, I had to call Brett. Brett, pray for me right now. Pray for me. Pray for me. Because road, I mean, I was just like, oh my goodness. Because the guy was completely out of control and he's going to kill somebody down the road. I think, what is wrong with you? But, and you know, if someone says something bad about your mama, you know, that can trigger you too. You know what I'm saying? These trigger points. But James is saying that anger comes from evil desires that are within us. That's where anger, that's the, really the, the main thing that we, want, we need to understand. The source of our anger or our conflict is our, now catch this, is our failure in not pleasing God. Maybe even our failure in not wanting to please God. Instead of trying to please God, who James is writing to these Jewish believers, they were making schemes in trying to please themselves. They were manipulating and influencing situations for their own interests, never taking in consideration of God's interest or God's desires. Look at verse 3 of James 4. And we're going to be in James 4 the whole time, so if you want to open up your Bible or your device, man, just stay there and you can read, because I'm not reading all the scriptures. And so if you want to read along, that's great. But verse 3 says, And even when you ask... You don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You see, the problem is their motives were for selfish desires instead of godly desires. Now, come on. I know all of us here today are perfect. And we never have, you know, personal desires that we want for our own benefit, right? We never do that. We, all of our thoughts are always godly. There is always after God's desires. You see, the source of many times our problems in our life is because of our disobedience to God. That's the source of so many things in our life. Even our motives for serving others can be out of wrong motives. They can be selfish motives. Look at me. Look what I'm doing. Man, I'm serving others. If you're doing it for that purpose, guess what? That's not godly. What it says is that we should be doing it because God's asked us to do it. That's the first one, be obedient. And also we see a need in others and we just sacrifice out of our own life because it gives us joy because we want to do it to help others. The source of our problems is our lack of obedience and desire to serve God. If our relationship with God is not right, catch this, then all of the other relationships in our life will suffer. If our relationship with God is out of sync, then guess what? All the other relationships in our life are going to be out of sync. Our first and most important relationship must be with God. It must be about the love of God in our life and his love in our life and our love back to God. It's the love of God in our life that brings the correction to all the other relationships in our life. I'll say it again because I think we missed that. It's the love of God in you that will help you bring correction in all of the other relationships in your life. Because, see, it's the love of God that will humble you to the place that you go to a person that says, I offended you. I am so sorry. Please forgive me. I hate asking for forgiveness. But the love of God leads me in that direction. The Holy Spirit starts to convict my heart. You know what? You said something you shouldn't have said. You need to go make that right. And just like you, your pastor has to get worked on. And, man, it takes a day. Okay, i got to go make that right. It's the love of God that helps me to have kindness in my heart. Guess what? Kindness in a relationship brings a relationship together. It's the love of God that helps all of our relationships in kindness and consideration and in understanding. Look at what James says in verse 4 of chapter 4. 
If we need to pray beforehand right now, we could because this is a tough verse. It says, you adulterers. He's writing this to the readers of his day. But guess what? It can apply to us. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. James has given us zero wiggle room here. He's not giving us any option. If In fact, bring that scripture back up. If you look at that scripture one more time, he repeats himself twice. He says, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? And then he repeats it again because he wants to put emphasis on what's all of a sudden making the separation between us and God. He wants us to understand this. His statement reminds us that our relationship with God has to be numero uno, one, number one. It has to be our priority in our life. And when we start putting our hope and our confidence in this world, we are literally offending God. When I have more hope or confidence in my spouse than in God, I'm offending God. When I have more hope or confidence in our, our government or our president, it says that I, I'm offending God. This is not Pastor Tom coming on, okay? This is James. So if, you, if you're getting offended right now, talk to James. You have to wait till you get to heaven, but talk to James about it. But think about that statement. How many times have we put our more hope in this world than in God? God never designed us to have our faith in this world. God designed us to have our faith in him, Jesus Christ. That's where our faith is supposed to be placed. James is basically saying, you have an enemy of God. You've made God an enemy of yourself because you've put your faith or your friendship in other things. And God is wanting you to have your faith in him. He calls those people, James does, he's rough, man. You think Pastor Tom's rough? James, man, I'm, whew, you're under his pulpit ministry every, all day, every day. You would be. He calls you an adulterer for those who put your faith somewhere else. What is an adulterer? That's a big word. We don't hear that much, very much in today's society. What is, adulterer mainly means this, that you're cheating on your spouse. That you're a married couple and one person is cheating on, the, on their spouse. James clearly states that the reason a person is in conflict with God is because they have become friends with the corruption or with the, area, the things of this world. Have any of you ever, I'm going to bring some lightness to it because I just feel like we have to because this is a heavy message. Have ever, anyone's ever listened to any of Jeff Foxworthy's stuff? You know, he's a comedian. Okay. Can you just... Humor me for just a moment here right now. I, I love Jeff Fox. I love his redneck jokes. I know. Pastor Tom, how can you love that? But I can't help. I, I start to laugh every time. I want to give you a few examples here because I'm going somewhere. So just follow along with me. You know, here's a couple redneck jokes that maybe you can. If you own a home with wheels on it and have several cars without, you might be a redneck. If you've ever made change in the offering plate as it passes by, you might be a redneck. If you think the stock market has a fence around it, you might be a redneck. Some of you guys will get that in a minute. If your dog and your wallet are both on a chain, you might be a redneck. So I was thinking, man, James chapter 4, I don't know why, but he didn't have Jeff Foxworthy back in that time. But, man, he could have used some things there and applied this kind of similar and brought it out to us. And hopefully more in a humorous way, but it doesn't become very humorous. If you find more security in the government 
than in God, you might be an adulterer. If you find more comfort in alcohol than with God, you might be an adulterer. I know I'm stepping on toes, forgive me. If you worship your spouse or your kids more than you worship God, this is a big one, you might be an adulterer. That's what basically James is writing here. He said, check your heart, where are you at? Is God still first in priority of your life? I had to start with some redneck jokes just to soften up where I was heading to because I felt like everybody, lock the doors, please, ushers, lock the doors right now. Just close them, chain them, no one can leave. Where's your faith? Where's your security? If you're watching us online, where's your hope? This is what James is claiming. If you have more faith in the world, then guess what? You've been cheating on God. That's a hard one. But it's the truth of what James is trying to bring about. It's honestly what has made me so nervous about this political election. Because I see people putting, on both sides, putting more faith in the government or in person than in God. And we have, by the way, in this church, we have people on both sides. And so it's one of the reasons I'm not a huge fan of political things as far as inside the church. Because guess what? God's called me to reach all people. Not just one side or the other side. Uh, we're, come to, we're called to come together and love Jesus. Jesus never went one side or the other. Guess what? The only one that he went against was the church. The Pharisees and the Sadducees. I'm just saying that's what he was hard against them. But every, everyone else he was going after, he was loving. You see, if you have greater friendship with politics than with Jesus, then James is calling you an adulterer. I know it's kind of political, but it's true, and I think we need to hear it in today's time right now. It's what, the, it's what the Israelites struggled with when they were following Moses. Do you remember what took place? They were out in the desert. They were following after Moses, and, and God is providing for them, but it's tough. It's in, they're in the wilderness. It's tough. They've been in the desert for years, and all of a sudden, some of them start to think, and this actually didn't even happen in years. This happened in a few days. All of a sudden, they start to think, man, do you remember back when we were in Egypt under bondage? You know what? We at least had food to eat. Now, God is providing manna every single night for them. God is providing quail for them to eat. It says in Scripture that their clothes never worn out, wore out. I would love to find a store like that where I could buy all of one time, done. And, they, and the, not only did they not wear out, I'm going to put this in. The Bible doesn't say this. But it must have grown with them as well. You know how we kind of growed through COVID? They must have, that clothes must have stretched out or whatever else. It, it never wore out. It always fit. It was always available for them. And yet, they were wanting to go back to Egypt. It's the conflict that the Pharisees and the Sadducees had during the days of Jesus. They had become so enamored with the Roman law, with the Roman government, that, you know, even though they talked bad about it, they put their faith in that. In fact, the Sadducees, many of them were higher-up political officers in the Roman government, and they started putting their faith more in Rome than in God. Don't misinterpret what I'm saying today. If we have politicians here, or, or I want more and more Christian politicians. I think we need them in our in our country today. But what I am saying is that we have to be cautious that our faith is not, polit- is not in politicians or in government. Because first and foremost, our faith must re- remain in God all day, every day. Our faith must be in God. Otherwise, James is saying that guess what? You're offending God. 
In fact, I believe what's actually made this, great, this nation great with all the faults that we have as a nation, what's made this nation great is our belief in God. It's our love for God. That in God we trust. And we must remember that and we must continue to put God first in our life. Our faith in God is what will help us to continue to evolve as a nation to be more of a Christ-like nation than ever before. It's not our faith in an institution. It's not our faith in, in, a, in a person. It's our faith in Jesus Christ. That's going to make the difference. Can I hear an amen right there? Oh, thank you. Oh, what James is stating in verse 4 can be applied to so many different areas of our life. It's not just about politics. But we can never elevate anything above our faith in God. When James writes, friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God, James is not referring to people in that passage of Scripture. He's referring to institutions. He's referring to the worldly government. He's referring to those things that will distract us from following after Jesus. We are called to be a light to this world. You know, if, if that scripture was true, that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God, that applied to people, then why did Jesus all the time go out and make friends with everyone? He was constantly building relationship with those that, who did not know him. And we are called to do the same because we are the light of the world. It's not us. It's who is inside of us, Jesus Christ. He's called us to make friends with others and to embrace. What a wonderful time right now with all the unrest. See, so many times we get caught up in the worldly thinking. Oh, man, I don't know how we're going to survive. I don't know what's going to happen. Everything's going to go to, it's just all going to be just, I don't know what's going to happen. Or you might be, man, finally, oh, I got, this is going to be great. Oh, my goodness, this is going to be awesome. And you find out, oh, maybe it's not. See, we're not to put our faith in people or in government. Our faith needs to remain in Jesus Christ. What James is referring to, and it, that, that, I got off track there. We were looking, it's not in my notes, that's why I got off track. But this is important because I feel like the Holy Spirit gave it to you guys. We're looking at this time as a time that could be horrible. Maybe it's a time that could be the greatest revival for the church. Maybe it's the greatest opportunity for us as followers of Christ to say, man, this is my time to show the love of God to everyone. This is my time for me to be the light of Christ in me to all people. This is the opportunity for me to go and reach across and love people and make a difference in their life. But it will never happen. Catch this. It will never happen if we stay, remain in the thinking of this world. The disciples couldn't figure out, Jesus, you want to go... You want, to go to, you want to go through Samaria? Jesus, don't you know that we're, Jews don't go into Samaria? We want, we want to go around. That's, we, we normally go, you want to go in there? Why, Jesus? If you remember the story, he goes to a place called Jacob's Well, and he meets a woman there, a Samaritan woman. Because guess what? He had an appointment with a Samaritan woman. And it was at that point... He showed the love of Jesus himself to this woman. How important is that for us to understand? That God might take us on a detour so that we could show God's love in a greater way than ever before. Look at verses 7 through 9 of James chapter 4. 
It says, so humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. If you want to know how to resist the devil, or you want to know how the devil will flee from you, resist. Pretty simple. Come close to God, and guess what? If you come close to God, hey, God will be close to you. Some of the scripture is really simple. Just got to apply it to our life. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. We must humble ourselves. We must come back to God and repent and ask for forgiveness. We must reestablish our trust and faith in God and not in this world. In verse 7, most translations state uh, humble or, or submit yourself to God, not humble. Submit yourself to God. Submission happens when we choose to yield our will to a different authority than ourselves. In fact, Brett and I were talking about this week. He was asking me the question. He says, is it really truly submission if it's already your desire or your direction or your purpose? Is it really having to submit to something is something that is not necessarily your desire, but you're willing to submit under another authority and you say, okay, I will submit even though my desires go this way. In our life, when we fall off to Jesus, there's times where we're going to have to submit ourselves under the authority of Jesus Christ. Even when our fleshly desires, desires to go that way, we're going to say, no, 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 no. I'm going to be obedient to God's word. And Jesus sees that, and he recognizes your faithfulness to him. It's called the purity of heart. It's a submission to God's perfect will, meaning we're choosing to obey God, even if our own desire is something different. And in doing this, you're drawing closer to God because your loyalty is not divided. In this submission of humility, God will give you greater favor upon your life or greater grace because of your undivided loyalty to him. When you have undivided loyalty, when you're faithful to God, he sees that. He says, ah, I am. His faithfulness never changes. But you can all of a sudden. Let me give you an example. How many of you guys here, um, men, how many are married? Raise your hand if you're married here today. Okay, very good. A lot of you. That's cool. Yeah, Brett's, yeah. Where's your spouse? Oh, okay, junior high, just checking. Married guys. If all of a sudden you started giving more attention to another lady that wasn't your wife, you decided that you were going to listen to what she had to say, not your wife, but this other lady more than you would listen to your own wife, how long do you think your marriage is going to last? Five minutes? That long? Really? I think a lot of you would be knocking on my door. Pastor Tom, is there a room in the church? I, need a, I got kicked out of the house. I need a place to stay. I don't care. I know you don't have a shower. I'll just bathe in the sinks. Whatever. I, I... Because guess what? Your, your wife will not put up with undivided loyalty. She wants your full attention. See, this is why James is saying, you adulterers. Because all of a sudden, guess what? These, these Jewish believers, they started giving their attention, their faith over to other areas of their life instead of with God. And all of a sudden they wonder, why do I feel distant? It's because their faith was not in God. Let, the next thought of, on humility is found in, I'm just going to leave that alone. We're going to keep moving forward. It's found in verses 11 and 12 of James. It says, don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone, who gave the law, is the judge. He alone 
has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? It's interesting that the first ten verses of James chapter 4 really deals with how our humility, guess what, affects our relationship with God. Then all of a sudden we come to these next two verses, and this really deals with how our humility has, has impact on rela- our relationship with one another. Humility doesn't judge others. It's so easy in life where all of a sudden we start to look down on others, especially when you think you are right and they are wrong. Your opinion is, more, is just more valuable than other opinions. You elevate your opinion above others. And then all of a sudden what happens, and this has happened in my life, where all of a sudden I get a critical attitude in my life. I start becoming critical of other people. And God never wants us to judge other people or be critical. of. Guess what? We can have our own thoughts. We can have our own values that hopefully line up to God's word. But, you know, the Bible doesn't ever say, judge one another. What does it say? Love one another. Love one another. There's an old story of a bishop or a pastor who was sailing across the Atlantic Ocean in an ocean liner. And, and we boarded the ship. He found out that he actually, he thought he had a room by himself. And he found out that he actually had a, a roommate. And so he went down to look at his accommodations on this big ocean liner ship. And as he got down below and he found his accommodations, he ran into the man that was going to be his roommate. And he looked at the man, this pastor did. He kind of looked at the man and thought, oh, this... This guy doesn't look, ooh, he's a little questionable. And, and so all of a sudden, in a little while, he went up to the purser's office, which was basically uh, an officer of the ship that took care of the people. And, and he went to the purser's office. He said, Mame, you know what? Um, I don't usually do this. I don't usually ask this. But I'm a little nervous with my, the person that I'm roomed up with. And he just seems a little questionable. And I, I would you mind keeping my gold watch and some of my valuables locked up in the, in the safe of the ship here? Because I just feel, oh, oh, oh. He said, oh, absolutely. I totally understand what you're saying. No, no problem. We'll lock that up in the safe. In fact, guess what? Your roommate was just up here five minutes before asking for the same thing. <laughs> James is reminding us not to judge one another. Our job is to obey God's law. What is God's law? What did Jesus say was the two greatest commandments that we needed to follow? Love God and love others. Those are the two. If we do this, he says, guess what? You're going to fulfill all the law if you just love God and love others. What happens in our life that those two folded items in our life to love God and love others, if we're not careful, we become so distracted in trying to apply the love of God To others that we ourselves are no longer following the very law that we claim to uphold. I've seen this over and over. I grew up this way in church. Where the love of God was being applied so hard in my life by others. I started questioning as a little boy, where's their love? They were applying it to me but never applying it to themselves. We're not called to apply our love. You need to love God. Otherwise you're going to hell. That's going to do a lot of good. No, no. We apply the love of God to our life. And guess what? God's love will come out of us in such a way that we can love others in a great and a wonderful, le- and a wonderful way. James in this passage of Scripture is reminding us that we're not the judge. It's God's law. We're not the author of God's law. And only God has the right to judge who is following his law. 
Jesus reminds us in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, these are Jesus' words. He says, do not judge others and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Did you catch that? Just read that every day in your life and I think it will change you because I don't want to be judged by the same standards I'm going to be judging someone else. Unless I'm grace-filled and loving and kind. You understand where I'm going? Jesus goes on to say, why are you so concerned about the speck in someone else's eye when you've got a big old log in your own eye? Let's, get, let's, let's take care of the log in your eye. Then maybe let me work on the speck in the other person's eye. If there's one thing I want you to catch today, I want you to catch this. We will never be effective in helping others by judging others. We will only be effective in helping others by loving them. That's the only way we're going to make a change is by God's love. This is why the Bible says to love one another. Galatians 5.13 says serve one another humbly in love. The last thought I want to share with you today, just briefly, is found in verses 13 through 17. I'm going to let you read the passage of Scripture. We're going to highlight a little bit of it. But basically, humility is having confidence in God. Humility really comes from having confidence in God. So many times we put our confidence in our own thinking or in our own plans. We take pride in knowing our goals. We take pride in knowing what we're trying to accomplish. James says some pretty harsh words here. When we start planning our own plans, when we start thinking that we have it all together, when we start thinking that, you know, I'm, 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 you know, I'm all that in a bag of chips kind of thought, guess what? James states in verse 14, how do you know what your life is, will be like tomorrow? You don't know? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here for a little while, then it's gone. How many of you can relate to that scripture? I can. In my life, there's been times where I've had a plan, I've had a goal, I've had it set. I know God is going to fulfill that plan. I know it's going to take place, except I forgot to ask God. I just do it on my own. And all of a sudden, I wonder... What happened? Why? And all of a sudden, not because I want to change, but because out of necessity, all of a sudden my plans get changed. Guess what? Maybe it's God's will for your life. Maybe it's not a punishment. Maybe God says, you know what? I need you to do this. And God all of a sudden puts a different direction, a different plan. James states, don't boast about your plans because you have no idea if those plans are going to come to fruition. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. But if they do, guess what? It's by the grace of God. It's pretentious to think you know because you don't know. Only God knows. God knows the future. Then how should we plan? Pastor Tom, how should we get our goals in life? I'm so glad that you asked today. Because James in chapter 4 verse 15 tells us how to. He says this. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Why is that so important? There's been times in my life where I've just tried to push through on my own. And then all of a sudden I'm reminded by God, hey, that's not ever what I designed for you to do. I have a plan and I have a purpose for your life. But you need to fall under me, be submissive, be humble, and I will reveal that to you. And the reason that we need to pray, I pray many times, I don't know if you guys do, I say it this way. I said, Lord, man, if it's your will, open up that door. Lord God, if it's your will for me to sell my house, Lord God, I pray that 
you just make it happen. Lord God, if it's your will for me to marry this person that I've been dating for a year, Lord, I want to know that's your will, not my own will. Amen. Proverbs says it's better to live on the corner of a rooftop than with a nagging spouse. It's good to listen to God sometimes, guys. Girls, some of you men are so, guys, some of you men are naggers too, so there you go. James states these words, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Just let that sink in. Sadly, I've not always followed what God's asked me to do. Tried, but there literally, I can tell you honestly, as your pastor right now, that there's been a few times in my life where I know God's asked me to do one thing, and I have chosen to do something else. And every single time when that takes place in my life, guess what? I'm outside of God's will for my life. And there's a cost to pay for that. But here's the thing I've learned. Um, and I, I love to share information because I think it helps others. The thing I've learned is this. When I find myself off track and I'm going and doing my own thing, when I am willing to all of a sudden humble myself, Pastor, how do you humble it? In your quiet time by yourself, alone, just kneeling, crying out to God. God, forgive me. I've chosen my own direction. I've chosen my own way. I've chosen my own. Forgive me, Lord. I ask for you to forgive me of my wrongs. Help me, Lord God, to do what is right. It's a, it's a, it's a submission of humility under God's desire, under God's law. What happens when we do this? Catch this. Follow along with me. What takes place is that thing that I did on my own, all of a sudden, instead of being such a detriment to me, detriment to me all of a sudden, God makes it a teaching moment for me. All of a sudden, he uses what the enemy meant for evil, and he turns it around for my own good. Why? Because I submitted underneath his authority, and he asked for his forgiveness. Instead of continuing to walk in pride, and when we walk in pride, guess what? It says God opposes us, meaning this, that all of a sudden we start all of a sudden getting feel like we're further and further and further and further and further away from God. Why? Because of pride. But when we humble ourselves, God uses this as a teaching moment. Because you know what? God's on your side. Did you know God is good? Do you know that God loves you? Do you know God's for you, not against you? He's on your side. It's the story of the prodigal son. The father represents God. The prodigal son represents us. When we go and do our own thing in our own direction, our own way, God is waiting there. The father was waiting there, looking. He never stopped loving his son. One second, one minute, he never stopped loving. God has never stopped loving you for one second. And he is standing there and he's waiting for you. He already has a plan. Man, in the story of the prodigal son, great parable if you haven't read it. As soon as the father sees the son returning, he wraps his arms around him. Puts a ring on his finger, which means he's part of the family. Kills the fatted calf, and they have a party like no other party. Because his son was lost, and now he's found. He embraced him in such a beautiful way. Your heavenly father loves you unconditionally, 100%. There is nothing that you have done or could ever do that will ever separate God's love for you. 
You can separate from God's love. Your choices can make you separate, but God's love will never. He is always there for you. All we have to do is humble ourselves before Him, and you watch what God will do. Today, I close with this thought. Let's continue to love God, even in the most difficult circumstances. Because God, you know what? God needs you to let His love shine through your life to help others. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you, Lord God, that your word is powerful. It is effective. It changes our heart. It changes our life. I thank you for the power of your spirit in this place today. As it's been moving in us and on us, Lord God, even from the beginning of worship, Lord God, I have felt your presence in this place. And I pray over every person here today that, Lord God, your grace, Lord God, is more than enough. Your love is more than enough for each and every person here today. Those that are watching online, God, Lord, your love is more than enough for them as well. It's more than enough, Lord God. Your grace, Lord God, is sufficient. If you're watching us online or if you're here today in the congregation and you know that you have just been separated, not following after God like you should, I'm not going to ask for hands today. I don't need a hand. I need your heart. God needs your heart. And I, right now, I just want you to lift up your heart to the Lord right now. You just cry out to God right now in, in your spirit. Just say, Lord, you know where I'm at. I need you more than ever before. And then I want us as a congregation and those online, you can join us all together. I want to say a prayer. Just a reminder for all of us, but for, especially for those who need to remake a recommitment to Christ, or maybe you've never made a commitment to Christ, and this is your first time. Guess what? God's been waiting a long time, but He's there for you. Say this prayer with me right now. Lord Jesus, I choose to follow you today. Forgive me of my wrongs. Give me the power of your Holy Spirit. Help me to do what is right. Help me to be loving to those who are unloving. Fill me with your love, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God good? All the time, he is faithful, he is good. There is no greater opportunity than today to show the love of God. So man, I encourage each and every one of you today, reach out to God, because you know what? He's nearer than you think. Thanks for listening to the South Coast Christian Podcast. We appreciate those who give on a regular basis to South Coast because through your giving, we are able to provide these resources. For more information about South Coast, including service times and ways to give, please visit southcoastchristian.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast. Thanks again, and may this week be filled with new opportunities where you can receive and share God's love.